Are you looking for a word from God today? If so, First Baptist Dallas is glad to present this dynamic message by Dr. Robert Jeffress. Dr. Jeffress is a premier Bible teacher, pastor, and author whose practical applications of God's truth help guide and encourage those who seek to know and follow the Lord Jesus. I know you'll be blessed. And now, the message by Dr. Robert Jeffress. May I let you in on a poorly kept secret? Most people hate their jobs. Maybe hate's a little too strong of a word. Most people are dissatisfied with their jobs. And that's not my opinion. It's a fact. One major university did a survey of 250,000 workers in every field of work imaginable and found that 80% of them said they were dissatisfied with their jobs, which is tragic when you consider that most people spend 60% of their waking hours at their job, which means that our jobs are fertile fields of regret. And today, as we continue our series, Say Goodbye to Regrets, we're going to talk about how to say goodbye to regrets about our jobs our careers. Now, you have to ask the question, and it's a legitimate question, does God even care about this topic? Does God care about what we do? Does God care about how we feel about our jobs? You know, it's interesting. Some people, Christians, have such a warped idea of work, an unbiblical idea. Some Christians view work as a curse from God. They say, boy, if Adam hadn't sinned in the garden, we could just be, you know, relaxing and eating bonbons forever, you know. But, oh, Adam fell, and so we got to work as a curse. That's not biblical. God's plan for work began before the fall. God put Adam and Eve in the garden to keep it and to what? To work, to cultivate it. Some people are wrong to view work as a curse. Other people say, well, okay, my job has value to the extent it gives me the opportunity to share the gospel. If it gives me a platform, if only once every month I have a chance to share with a coworker, that makes my work valuable. But what about all the other time? Those opportunities are few and far between. No, I believe the Bible says our work, our vocation, whatever it is, is a calling from God. It's not just pastors, evangelists, and missionaries who are called by God. We all have a call from God, and we're going to talk about that today. But before we talk about how to minimize regrets about work, let's talk about some reasons people are dissatisfied with their job. What is it that causes regrets? First of all, the wrong choice of a career. The wrong choice of a career. In another survey, 693 workers were polled, and over half of them said they had chosen the wrong job. Now, there are a lot of reasons people end up choosing the wrong job or think they have. A major reason is they have felt pressured into a job by somebody they respect. A well-meaning parent, teacher, counselor, pastor, might say to us at some point, you know, I can really see you doing such and such. And people wanting to please their authority figure end up going into a line of work they're really not called to do. 
you know, I want to be real clear about this. As parents, we do have a responsibility to help our children discover their gifts and the best use of that gift. In Proverbs 22, 6, remember Solomon's words, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Most people misinterpret that verse. That phrase, in the way he should go, is not talking about his moral or spiritual direction. If you teach children the right thing, they'll do the right thing. That's not what that verse is talking about. That Hebrew phrase, in the way he should go, literally means train up a child according to his individual bent, his interest, his giftedness, because ultimately that's the way he will end up going. Practically speaking, if you have a child who's interested in dance, let her give up her piano lessons if she hates the piano and pursue ballet. If you've got somebody, a child who is mesmerized by a computer, sits in front of a computer for hours at a time, don't tell him he has to go be on a football team if he has no interest in that. Help him maximize his technological pursuits. That's what the Bible is saying. As parents, we ought to train our children according to their giftedness, but we shouldn't pressure them into a job. You know, one of the things I appreciate about my parents is they did not pressure me to become a pastor. For the first 15 years of my life, <laughs> almost out of the womb, I knew what I was going to do or thought I was going to do. I was going in a particular direction, and when I got where I could read, I would read every journal, every book on the topic I could read about. But when I was 15, God had a different plan for me, he told me. He called me to be a pastor, completely different from anything I had planned to do. And uh, I remember telling my dad first and telling my mom, not knowing how they would respond at all to that. And they both independently said the same thing when I told them. They said, Robert, we knew from the day you were born this was God's plan for your life, but we never said anything to you about it because we wanted to make sure it was the Holy Spirit calling you and not us. So there's a balance there, parents, but a lot of people choose the wrong careers because uh, they have been pressured into it, and that can cause regrets about their job. A second cause of regrets is the lack of perceived success. If somebody isn't experiencing much success in their career, they start to regret it. And uh, sometimes that lack of success is because of the wrong definition of success, but it can also be uh, because of a lack of diligence in the job that they're doing, and we'll talk about that more in just a moment. A third reason for regrets about work is excessive time spent at work. Now, I'm going to say this several times in the next 25 minutes so nobody misunderstands it. It's possible to spend too much time at your job, but it's also possible to spend too little time at your job. You shouldn't overinflate the time you spend at work, but you shouldn't underinflate either. It needs to be in balance with other life activities. But there are some people who spend too much time at their job to the neglect of other areas. Listen to this little poem. As Christmases come and go, leaving footprints of time in the snow, I despair for the year spent without joy or tears with my children I'll now never know. Isn't that a depressing poem? It was written by a guy named Robin 
Koskinen. He composed that poem while driving home late one December night. He had just taken the new job at the uh, large Massachusetts brokerage financial institution. His job was bonds, and his job required him to leave work at 5.45 every morning to get home at 10.30 at night, long after his two little girls had gone to sleep. And he said, I'm not going to do this anymore. He shocked his employers when he quit. His motivation, this is what he said, I sort of felt like that if I was struck by a bus and my tombstone read, he did bonds good. What does that bring to the table at the end of the day? Now, he eventually found another job, one that allowed him to maintain a balance in his work, but excessive time at work can be a cause of regret. Fourth, some people regret their jobs and their careers because of a failure to take a risk. They never went that next step. They never took that exam that would qualify them for a higher position in their job. Or they never made that cold sales call on a prospective customer. Or they never took an opportunity to start their own business. <clears throat> they thought, you know, I could fail and therefore I would regret it, so I won't try at all. It may interest you to know that uh, most people uh, regret risk they didn't take instead of risk that they did and failed at. Um, by the way, the whole topic of taking a risk is a biblical theme. Did you know that? Did you know the Bible teaches we ought to be willing to take risk, not reckless ones, but measured risk? You say, where do you find that in the Bible? I'm so glad you asked. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 1. Remember what Solomon said? Cast your bread on the surface of the waters, for you will find it after many days. Remember what that verse means? We saw it in our study of Ecclesiastes. Doesn't mean you get a loaf of Mrs. Baird's white bread and go out to White Rock Lake and start, you know, picking it off and throwing it in the water. That phrase, cast your bread on the waters, referred to in Solomon's day of kings that would take ships, empty vessels, and send them to foreign lands to discover treasure. Now, some of the boats would come back completely empty, but some would come back filled with treasures. And the fact was, the more boats you sent out, yes, the more that would come back empty, but the more that would come back with treasure as well. And that's what he's saying. He's saying we need to be willing to take risks. Not all of them will pan out, but some of them will. Ralph Keyes has interviewed thousands of people about the subject of risk-taking, and he found those who take risk and fail had fewer regrets than those who didn't. Because those who did fail at a risk they took were able to say, well, at least I tried. But those who never took a risk always wondered, what could have been had I taken that step? Now, these are just some of the sources of regrets about work. Is it possible to eliminate all of our regrets about our jobs? Of course not. It's like somebody said, the only worker in America who has all of his problems behind him is a school bus driver. Uh, I know that's corny, but it is true. 
I mean, because we live in a sin-infected world and we are sin-infected people ourselves, there's always going to be problems with whatever job that we have. But there are some ways to minimize the regrets about our work, which is such an important part of our life. And let me share a few of those ways straight from God's Word. First of all, and star this three times on your outline, discover your life work. The greatest important thing you can do about your job is to make sure you've discovered what your life work is. I, I first got acquainted with this term life work from my friend Bob Beal, who is such a help to our church. And Bob says and defines life work as that work which is the best use of the rest of your life. Bob goes on to point out when people first start working in their 20s, they're worried about one thing, and that is survival. They're just trying to survive when they start out. But when they get into their 30s, they move beyond survival to success. They want to be successful, and so they try to start climbing the ladder to success. But somewhere in their mid-40s to early 50s, people move beyond survival or even success to significance. They want to do something that matters, that makes a difference, that provides them with satisfaction. And that's what our life work is all about. How do you discover your life work? Let me share with you four principles to discovering your life work. First of all, your life work, whatever it is, should utilize both your gifts and your interests. It ought to be utilizing your gifts and your interests. Listen to me. God will never call you to do something for which he's not given you a passion, first of all, to do. And second of all, he hasn't given you the gifts to do it. God will never do that. You say, where do you find that in the Bible? Philippians 2.13. This is a good verse to memorize. Paul said, for it is God who is at work within you, giving you the will and the power to achieve his purpose. How do you find God's purpose? First of all, it's what he's given you the will to do. You could use the word passion there. For it is God who is at work within you, giving you the passion. But he also will not just give you the passion, he'll give you the power, the gifts to achieve God's purpose for you. And so your life work should be the intersection of where your passion and your giftedness cross. You know, I remember when I was a little boy, my grandfather, who had such an influence on my life, decided that I needed to be a doctor. And he told me that he would send me to the finest medical school in the country if I would become a doctor. Now, there are just two problems with that. First of all, when I was very young, I had a science bypass operation. I had no interest in biology or science whatsoever. When everybody in high school biology would be looking into the microscope trying to see something, I would be dazing out the window. I didn't care what was under the microscope. And not only that, I didn't have the gifts needed to be a successful doctor. I mean, can you imagine me? with my hyperkinetic personality trying to be still enough to perform a delicate operation, I'd be in a malpractice suit before I could blink. I mean, I'm not gifted to be a doctor. 
When God calls us to do something, he gives us a passion and the giftedness to do it. How do you know what your passion is? Here's one way to know it. Ask yourself the question, when I look around the world, what needs do I see that I feel passionate about meeting? If God's calling you to do something, it's going to be to meet a legitimate need in the world, not to fill your greed, but to meet somebody else's need. When you look around, what do you see that makes you passionate? I think about a pastor I know who, when he was in junior high school, took a friend of his, a non-Christian, to church to try to witness to him, and he said, it was such a horrible experience. The sermon was boring. The soloist was off-key. The bulletins had misprinted words in them. It was a terrible experience, and my friend never came back again. He had a passion to change that, to make churches places of excellence in everything they did, and he started a movement based on that. I think about a woman whose daughter was killed by a drunk driver. Her name was Candace Leitner, and she had a passion from that point on to remove drunk drivers from being the menace that they are. She founded the organization MAD, Mothers Against Drunk Drivers. If we're called to do something, I see Dee Simmons down there. She feels passionately about meeting the needs, not just physical, but emotional and spiritual needs of those going through cancer and who have other needs. And she's giving her time to meeting those needs. If God calls you to do something, it's going to be something you have a passion to do. But secondly, it's something you have a giftedness to do. So ask yourself the question, what is my single greatest strength? What is my single greatest strength? Maybe it's organization, maybe it's leadership, maybe it's communication, but the intersection of your passion and your giftedness is your life calling, your life work. Se secondly, your life work ought to be something you enjoy doing. It ought to be something you love doing. Now, let's be honest, everybody has parts of their job they don't like. I mean... Uh, for a teacher, it might be faculty meetings. For a doctor, it might be dealing with insurance companies. For a pastor, it might be going to the hospital. That's understandable, but none of those functions is the major component of those professions. But if you have a teacher who says, you know, I just love teaching, it's the students I can't stand. Uh, you know, or you have a pastor who says, oh, I just love being a pastor, but I hate preaching. You know, or you have a doctor who faints at the sight of blood. They probably need to reconsider their life work. Your life work ought to be something you love doing. Thirdly, your life work ought to be something that provides you with an adequate income to take care of yourself and your family. It ought to provide something that gives you an adequate income. That means you have to separate your life work from your hobbies. I mean, we all have things we're interested in. But just because you're interested in doesn't mean you can make a living at it. You all know I grew up playing the accordion. That was a hobby of mine. And in high school and college, I learned, earned all my spending money by playing for bar mitzvahs and polka festivals and weddings and funerals. But I would hate today to try to make a living out of playing the accordion. The interest in polka music isn't what it used to be. So... I can do that as a hobby, but that's not going to be my life career. Some of you are saying amen to that. Um, 
it ought to be something you can make a living at. You say, well, where do you find that in the Bible? Again, listen to 1 Timothy 5.8. If anyone does not provide for his own, especially those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. God has given us the responsibility to provide financially for ourselves and those who depend upon us. That's his will. How does God provide that income? It's through the jobs he calls us to do. Our job, our work, is the means by which God provides our needs. And number four, your life work should be confirmed by other people. If you're really in your life work, you're going to have some positive affirmation from people. People are going to say things like, man, you were born to do that. Or you make that look so easy. Or you look like you really are enjoying what you're doing. You'll have that confirmation from others. Conversely, if you don't get that kind of confirmation, it may be that you're not in your life work. I think about the farmer who wanted to preach so badly. His passion was to preach. One day he was out working in the field and he looked up in the sky and he saw the clouds supernaturally form two letters, P-C. And he thought, that's it. God's telling me to preach Christ. And so he sold his farm. He went to seminary. He got to his first church and was preaching. And he preached a particularly bad sermon. He couldn't preach his way out of a paper bag. And finally, one of the deacons came up to him and whispered, Pastor, you know that sign you saw, PC? Are you sure God wasn't telling you to plant corn? Now, one negative comment shouldn't be enough to dissuade you from your life work. But if you don't get substantial positive affirmation and get more comments like that deacon, maybe you need to rethink what you're doing. Most people will have some affirmation. Again, the Bible says in Proverbs 11:14, where there is no guidance, people fail. But in the abundance of counselors, there is victory. We need to listen to what other people say. So how do you prevent regrets? First of all, discover your life work so you're in the right field. Secondly, refuse to be stuck in your profession. By that I mean, if God does call you to change careers, vocation, if your life work changes, don't feel like you're stuck where you are. You're not. A lot of times people feel stuck because they feel like, well, if I change careers, it means everything I've done in the past has been wasted, or it means I didn't hear God's voice correctly that led me in this field to begin with. And I would just say a couple of things to help you get past the trauma of trying to change your career or life work. Secondly, first of all, remember that your present job and all your past jobs have value. God doesn't waste experiences upon anybody. All of our work has value. Your work, unless it's immoral or illegal, has values to God, value to God. You know, the only people who are called are not evangelists and missionaries. Everyone is called by God. Now, let me illustrate that for you. We all know that God's primary purpose in the world is to save people through faith in Jesus Christ. God is the one who sent his son to save us. And so evangelism 
is God's primary interest in reaching as many people with the gospel as we can. That's a primary purpose, but it's not God's only purpose. There are other things God is interested in as well. For example, how many of you would agree that God wants to care for his children? You agree? You would agree. Some of you are not sure. <laughs> Doesn't everything the Bible tell you tells you that God loves us and he wants to take care of our needs? Now, what's one need we all have? Food. I mean, we all need to eat. Man does not live by bread alone, but man does not live without bread. <laughs> we need food. God wants us to be able to eat. Now, how does God get food to us every day? Well, first of all, there has to be a farmer out there somewhere who's planting corn, right? Got to start there, but it can't stay there. That food, that corn has to get off the stalk and get into a truck, so there's got to be a truck driver and that truck driver can't go anywhere if there's not oil and gas to fuel the truck. So we've got to have not only truck drivers, but people in the oil and gas business. Then that food has to end up at a supermarket. Somebody's got to build the supermarket. There's got to be a cashier there to check us out, or at least somebody to build those machines that allow for self-checkout. I mean, all of those things, truckers, farmers, supermarket cashiers, they're all part of God's plan to achieve his purpose. And so, don't feel like that your past jobs have not had value. Secondly, view your job as a stepping stone, not as a plateau. To be open to God's moving you to something else, see your job as a stepping stone, not a plateau. Now, have you been ever interviewed by an employer who said, no, we don't want anybody who's going to use this job as a stepping stone, well, we understand what they mean. We don't, they don't want somebody who's always thinking about the next job instead of the current job they have. But the truth is, everything we do is a stepping stone to something else. I mean, we believe as Christians that history's linear, that we are moving every day closer and closer and closer to the return of Jesus Christ. And so that means every job we take is a stepping stone to the next job, even if we have one job all of our lives, it's a stepping stone to retirement. Retirement's a stepping stone to death. And death is a stepping stone to heaven for us. So all of us are in the process of moving from one place to another place. Think about the Apostle Paul. Think about all the career changes he had in his life. Started as a Pharisee, then was converted, became an evangelist, a missionary, a church planter, a writer, and then he went to heaven after he was beheaded. He had a number of careers. Thirdly, if you're going to avoid regrets about your work, and this is so important, understand the importance of diligence in your job. The only thing worse than coming to the end of your life and realizing that you are in the wrong job is having regrets about missed opportunities with the job you had, to realize you really could have been more successful if you had only been more diligent in your work. When I think about that, I think about Gordon MacDonald in his book, Ordering Your Private World. He cites the example of the famous poet Samuel Taylor Coleridge. He's an example of somebody who failed to understand the importance of diligence. Look what he says about Coleridge. Coleridge is the supreme tragedy of indiscipline. Never did so great a mind produce so little. 
Coleridge left Cambridge University to join the army. He left the army because he couldn't rub down a horse. He returned to Oxford and left without a degree. He began a newspaper called The Watchman, which lived for 10 issues and then died. It's been said of Coleridge, he lost himself to visions of work to be done that always remained to be done. Coleridge has every poetic gift but one, the gift of sustained and concentrated effort. Kemmons Wilson, the founder of Holiday Inn, said, let me tell you the secret of success. Work just half a day every day, just half a day. Doesn't matter which half, it can be the first 12 hours or the last 12 hours, but work half a day. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, said virtually the same thing. Listen to what he says about diligence. You can find a lot of verses in Proverbs about diligence. Here are three. Proverbs 10:4. Poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Or Proverbs 12, verse 24, the hand of the diligent will rule, but the slack hand will be put to forced labor. Or Proverbs 13, 4, the soul of the sluggard, the lazy person, craves and he gets nothing, but the soul of the diligent is made fat. Now, you may say, well, I don't have any desire to be rich, powerful, or fat, <laughs> so why do I care? Listen, what Solomon is saying is, if you're not diligent in your work, you're going to fall into poverty, servitude, and discontent. What's the antidote to slothfulness, laziness in our job? It's that passage we read together just a few minutes ago. Colossians 3.23. Here'd be a great passage to memorize. Paul said, whatever you do, whatever you do, farmer, trucker, supermarkets, clerk, whatever you do, do your work diligently, enthusiastically as unto the Lord, for it is the Lord God whom you serve. Finally, how do you remove regrets about your work? Don't overestimate the importance of your work. Don't overestimate the importance of your work. Some people underestimate it, but don't overestimate it either. Your work is an important part of your life that God cares about very much, but it needs to be kept in balance with other areas of your life as well. Let me illustrate that for you. Years ago, my granddad, before he died, gave Amy and me a beautiful bronze Remington sculpture. You've seen those sculptures. They're very, very heavy. And he gave us a pedestal to put it on. So in our home, we had that uh, sculpture on the pedestal. But as our girls began to get older, we realized they could accidentally shake that pedestal. And if that heavy bronze came crashing down, it could kill them or at least destroy the furniture. So we voluntarily took that sculpture off the pedestal and put it at a lower level where if it fell, it wouldn't do that much damage. We need to be careful that we don't elevate our careers above where they belong. Because if they come crashing down, when they come crashing down, either through health, through termination, or just our retirement, it does a lot less 
less damage if we haven't over-elevated our work. So make sure you have it in balance with every other area of your life. In closing today, let me suggest three important questions I hope you're able to answer. Number one, have you discovered your life work, that work which is the intersection of your passion and your giftedness? Second question, at the end of most days, not every day, but most days, are you able to come to the end of the day and said, I gave my job my very best efforts today? And number three, is your work really in balance with every other area of your life? Not spending too much, not spending too little time, but keeping it in balance. Your ability to answer yes to those questions will determine your ability to work without regret. Let's bow together in a word of prayer. We've seen this morning that God does care about our work. We were created to be workers because we're made in the image of God who is a worker. But there's one thing God refuses to allow us to work for, and that's our salvation. Romans 4, 5 says, but to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. You can't work for God's forgiveness. It's a gift you receive. And I believe there's some here today, some watching on iCampus or Pathway to Victory, who more than anything need to receive the gift of God's forgiveness. It's no accident You've tuned into this broadcast today. God has given you the opportunity to receive his forgiveness and know that one day you'll be welcomed into heaven with him. It's appointed unto every one of us once to die and then the judgment. If you're ready to receive God's forgiveness in your life, I encourage you to pray this prayer in your heart silently to God as I pray it out loud knowing that God is listening to you. Would you pray this with me? Dear God, thank you for loving me. I know that I have failed you in many ways, and I'm truly sorry for the sins in my life. But I believe what I've heard today, that you love me so much you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins, to take the punishment I deserve to take. And right now I'm trusting in what Jesus did for me, not in my good works, but in what Jesus did for me to save me from my sins. Thank you for forgiving me and help me to live the rest of my life for you. In Jesus' name, amen. On behalf of Dr. Robert Jeffress and everyone at First Baptist Dallas, thank you for joining us today. Our hope and prayer is that the biblical truth of this message will continue to be a blessing to you as you apply it to your life. For more information about First Baptist Dallas, we invite you to visit our website, firstdallas.org. May God bless you richly today.